This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And uh, we have a lot to get to today, so I am going to keep our introduction short um, Tarika, along with myself, obviously have been glued to the WNBA finals. Um, I've had the pleasure and honor of working the finals. So I was in Minnesota for games one and two. I will be headed to L.A. for game three and four. And then if necessary, game five will be back in Minnesota. But right now the series is tied 1-1 um, and game one. The L.A. Sparks jumped all over the Minnesota Lynx, uh, 32 to 11 in the first quarter. But the Lynx fought back um, and it was a nail biter. I'll tell you, it was a close game, nip and tuck. There were four lead changes in the last minute. Chelsea Gray hit the game winner. Um, But just to note some other things, Maya Moore was fantastic. 10 for 16 from the field, Um, 22 points for Sylvia Fowles, 13 rebounds, 10 of 15. Simone Augustus had a lot of key baskets late in the game, uh, 19 points and eight rebounds. Waylon with five, and then Rebecca Brunson only had two points and was limited in game one, but oh boy, did she make a comeback in game two. Um, and we will talk about that in a moment. Um, just also to note, Candace Parker um, finished game one with 15 points. There was a lot of foul trouble for the L.A. Sparks, a lot of foul trouble. So um, Minnesota definitely found their footing, but it was the Sparks that took game one. Uh, game two, different story. It was Minnesota that jumped out to the 28-10 lead in the first quarter, led by Lindsey Whalen, who was fantastic. I mean, it, it, I don't think we've seen her play this well, this comfortable, this aggressive since her hand injury. Um, where she was forced to miss games during the the last 12 games, actually, of the regular season. She had 14 points. Uh, Sylvia Fowles had a WNBA record 17 rebounds, along with 13 points. And Rebecca Brunson was fantastic. And she had 12 points and three assists, but it was more than that. I mean, she was, she was active. She played great defense on Candace Parker. She played great help defense, even disruptive of Chelsea Gray in L.A.'s last opportunity at the end of the game to make something happen. But the uh, the Lynx did go on to win 70-68. to 68. Um, I told you, you, well, actually, we will hear from Neko Ogumake later in the show. Um, she had 11 points. Candace Parker had 17, mostly in the second half. She did tweak her ankle at the beginning of Game 2, so that was something that... Um, the, the crew was keeping their eyes on. Chelsea Gray had 15 points and Odyssey Sims had 10. Also wanted to know Essence Carson had an important nine points and Beard six points, um, and along with obviously having to defend Maya Moore, who had 13 points fouls. Uh, we already talked about her. Okay. So with that, um, I just wanted to kind of breeze over the big picture. Also wanted to just say that Minnesota packed the place. Um, Almost 12,000 fans in game one, 11-5 almost in game two for the Lynx at Williams Arena at the barn. Just fantastic job. It was great for the game. And coming up on the show, uh, we're going to right now um, in the first quarter bring in Lynn Dunn, who you guys all know, um, who is currently working on staff with Matthew Mitchell at Kentucky, but has experience at every level of the game. So she will weigh in on what she has seen in the WNBA Finals. Then Neka Ogumike will join the show. Uh, grateful for her time since it is the Finals. 
And uh, they are very busy with a lot of obligations. They did a fit clinic in L.A., so a lot going on. We appreciate NECA taking um, just some of her time to give us some insight. Third quarter, we have Alicia Gray. Uh, the WNBA Rookie of the Year will join the show, and then Tarika will close us out. So with that, let's just go ahead and jump right into the show. First quarter. Okay, fans, it is our first quarter, and usually, you know, we kind of try to save all of our best stuff for the second, third quarter, but we're just jumping off the show today with an expert of all experts. Um, one of my favorite people, she's not a gym rat. She's what she calls a game rat because she loves the game of basketball. She has coached every level from internationally to uh, WNBA, where she won a a WNBA championship with the Indiana Fever, Um, a very successful college coach as well. Please join us in welcoming Hall of Fame coach Lynn Dunn. Welcome, Lynn. Hey, great to be here. Well, we are so excited to have you because it is, I mean, what an exciting time right now. And you know this time of year better than anyone as you uh, did win a WNBA championship with the Indiana Fever. So you know what the finals is like. Let me just start with this. Were you expecting to see L.A. and Minnesota head-to-head again in the finals? Absolutely, uh, LaChina. I don't think there's any doubt that... uh... Both L.A. and Minnesota are our two premier teams in the WNBA. They're both the best offensive teams. In my opinion, they're the best defensive teams. And let me be honest, they've got the two best coaches. Okay. Now, that is, that's something that, you know, in observing, especially game one, all of the moves that were made, all of the tweaks, all the adjustments, and then we saw even more in game two. I'm thinking to myself, I'm loving this chess match between the head coaches uh, just as much as I am watching the players play. If you would, Lynn, take first Cheryl Reeve, and then we'll get to Brian Agler, and tell me, in your opinion, what makes each of these coaches special. Extremely competitive. Extremely competitive. Cannot stand to lose. Very demanding. They both have a lot in common. And bottom line is they are defensive coaches. They understand that if you defend and if you rebound, you're always going to have a chance to win. So they really have a lot in common. Yeah, you know, they are they are fiery, uh, I tell you. They, they show it in different ways. Cheryl definitely more when she's on the court. And Brian, you know, as you're talking to him and, you know, you see him in some instances as well, even in-game, where you're just like, they get really fired up. And you can see that transferred into their players. So let's just start with game one, Coach, because, you know, it's interesting. You never know what to expect. Coming into the game, I already knew what Williams Arena was like because I had called the semifinals games there, and it is one of the loudest places I ever been. I know you're familiar; you've been there. Um, it is just an amazing home court advantage in terms of the acoustics, and the Lynx do a great job of of getting fans in there. Despite all of that, in Game One, it was the LA Sparks that jumped out. I mean, when I say jumped out, they jumped all over the Minnesota Lynx from the very start of that game. And it was a 32-11 to first quarter. As a head coach, because the first quarter actually has been instrumental in game one and two, how difficult is it to recover from a, from a slow start? Well, first of all, I'm sure Cheryl Reed was pissed, and I'm going to use that word strongly because her <laughs> team came out soft defensively in the first quarter. I don't know if it had something to do with all this national anthem stuff or who knows what. 
But uh, they laid an egg defensively in the first quarter, soft, uh, let L.A. do whatever they wanted to do. But after the first quarter, then they take an enormous amount of energy to make this run to come back. And you knew that you knew they were going to come back. You knew they were going to have a run just like we had last night in the second game. Um, you, but you did notice in the second game they did not start soft defensively. If anything, they were the aggressor and they were the attacker defensively last night. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right. It seems to have – this series has had its run based on the team that has played better defense. And something Rebecca always talks about the broadcast is turnovers. You know, what team – uh, has is turning the ball over more in the history of this series is the team that tends to lose and you know as well as I know that turnovers are related to defensive pressure you know most of the time especially with teams that are this good they're not just turning the ball over willy-nilly with the exception of the last the last of last night's game <laughs> unless there's some defensive pressure so uh, when you're strategizing and, and you know this all too well because you won your final series as the underdog um, against the Minnesota Lynx, where I always say this about India and in the history of, of the organization that on paper, you guys never have the most talented team, but you always have the most gritty, blue-collared, you know, willing-to-work-hard kind of teams. So strategy-wise, what was significant about L.A.'s defense? What do you think they've taken away from Minnesota when they've played well defensively that they'll need to take away from them as we look to continue the series? Well, one of the things that I'm impressed with about the L.A. team's defense is all five and the subs that are coming in are committed to defending at a high level. We don't have anybody taking a possession off. You don't have anybody jogging down the floor. They're all locked in defensively. They are committed to denying ball reversal. They're denying passes on the wings. They're denying passes at the elbow. They're overplaying everything that uh, Minnesota does. And I thought that's what really hurt Minnesota the first quarter uh, in the first game. Hmm, that's very interesting because I knew, you know, obviously with Elena Beard guarding Maya Moore, which is one of the premier matchups, you know, I knew that she was going to be in denial, but I think you're absolutely right. I knew that that uh, Neko Gumake was going to deny fouls, and I think for her size, she's done a fair job of trying to do that. But they do. They try to take you out of what you want to, want to do. Both of these teams very well scouted. Now, on the other hand, um, Minnesota, people talk about their age a lot, you know, that they don't have the foot speed advantage in this matchup, um, you know, that they're much older than this young Spry Sparks team, especially since they've added Odyssey Sims to the starting lineup. But what is it that, that Minnesota does that, that makes them good defensively, Coach? Well, they're very aggressive, too, and they want to be. And that's what I was impressed with Minnesota last night. It's almost like they learned their lesson. We will not start this second uh, game first quarter like we did the first one. And they jumped all over L.A. in the beginning. It was very difficult for L.A. to get open. It's very difficult for Gray to do what she'd done uh, in game one. Uh, you know, they were denying. They were They were very physical. Um, and I think when you look at the stats, that's going to be the difference of the game. L.A. only shot 38% from the field. You know, in yeah. game one when they won, they shot 47%. And it, it's the defense um, that uh, Minnesota brought last night that was huge. And the other thing was fouls protecting the rim. When she's got six block shots and 17 rebounds, it's going to be a tough night for the opponent. 
Oh boy, was she special. We actually have a clip we'll hear from Sylvia Fowles in a minute. But to put a wrap on game one, so L.A. jumped out, but Minnesota, as Coach Dunn mentioned, second quarter outscored the Sparks 22-11. to um, Third quarter, the Sparks took the advantage a little bit, 25-23. to In the fourth quarter, the Lynx outscored the Sparks 28-17, but it was Chelsea Gray who, I mean... I, she has been a thorn in the side of the Minnesota Lynx going back to last season. Um, she made the game-winning play in game one with the pass to Elena Beard. Um, she obviously, you know, was instrumental in the third and fourth quarter, second half of game five last year. But she had 11 points in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I think all athletes dream of that moment, you know, especially at at this magnitude and at this stage, I think you dream of hitting that shot. Last year it was Elena, then it was NECA. So I just, I'm, I'm glad it went in. I think we, um, we drew up a good play, and my teammates had confidence in me once I got the ball and I knocked it down. Coach, she's not the fastest player I've ever seen in my life. She's not swift of foot, as they say in the South. But she, she seems to at times be unstoppable. Is this something you saw in Gray previously, and what is it that really makes her so effective, especially in late games? Well, first of all, she's what I call a big guard. You know, you look at all the other point guards uh, uh, in the league, and I don't believe there's anybody as big, as strong, as tall, as physical as she is. And the interesting thing about Gray is she has the ability to use her body to butt you out of the way and get to the spot that she wants to, and then she can rise up and shoot over you. Um, she's very gifted uh, going right or left. I've noticed that um, the links are forcing her left, and I, I think I think they better force her right because she's really uh, uh, developed her uh, ability to pu- shoot the pull-up jumper, kind of fading away going left. But last night now in game two, they were very focused on Gray, and nothing came easy for her. We're not going to have any more of that 27-point stuff. And at the end of the game, when they trapped her, I thought that was huge, the turnover, and then they win the ball game. It was so effective, and it showed, you know, just brilliance on the part of Cheryl Reeve. Hey, you're not going to beat us twice, okay? Not, not the same way. You're going to have to figure something else out. So, yes, okay, so L.A. went on to win um, game one behind that 27 points from, from Chelsea Gray. We're going to dig a little bit more into game two, but first let's hear a bite uh, from Sylvia Fowles post-game uh, with our Holly Rowe. Well, Sylvia, Minnesota has been the best defensive team in the league all year. So what did it mean to your group to end this game on three straight defensive stops? Um, it meant everything. I mean, L.A. brought it, and um, that's what was to be expected. This is the final game, and um, we just try to go off what we, we used to, and that's our defense, and um, we showed up in the last three stops. From the very beginning of this game, it felt different. What was different about your team in that first quarter? Uh, well, we didn't want Sunday night to happen. We didn't want to come out, and we didn't want to be flat, so we came out punching and playing the way we was capable of playing. You had zero rebounds as a team in the first quarter Sunday. You alone had 17, broke the record in the playoffs tonight. What was your mindset on the boards? Um, just go crash. Uh, coach is very hard on me about crashing the boards, and she kind of chewed me out for Sunday, so she held me accountable for a lot. So I just wanted to, to make up from Sunday and come out here and make sure I crash the boards. So this sets up another great matchup in L.A. on Friday night. What will the focus for this team be to go in there and make a statement? Well, think about all the things that we did to let L.A. get back in the game. Continue doing all the things we did well. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you, Holly. 
Great interview there with Holly and Sylvia. And I'm going to start there. You mentioned the, the 17 rebounds, which is a playoff record, Coach Dunn. You've watched Sylvia Fowles play a whole lot, going back to when she was a little girl, I'm sure. Um, what have you seen from Sylvia this year that you hadn't seen from her previously? Tougher. Tougher. More physical. Doesn't let getting hit and shoved around bother her. Doesn't let double teams bother her. Just is really asserting herself, using her size and her strength, just overall tougher. Yeah, I mean, she definitely was the MVP, and, and I mean, gosh, she just, when I see her out there on the on the floor sometimes, she looks like a woman amongst girls, and these are the best players in the world, but the way she dominates the low block and with the kind of power and quickness, I mean, she's been switching quite a bit, too, defensively and able to keep some perimeter players in front of her. So I've been impressed with that as well. The other thing they talked about is the last minute of game two. Now, Coach, I'm going to need you to break this down to me. Now, game one, in the last minute, there were four lead changes. There had been no lead changes the entire game, but it was so – it was an amazing ending. Now, last night could have almost been opposite. A lot of mistakes made, some turnovers – inability to get shots. Um, what did you see happening there in the last minute that both of these teams can learn from? Well, first of all, um, if you're close to, uh, in the last minute or two of the game, then now it's a whole other ball game. It's called the end of the game situations where you've got your timeouts, you can move them. You're, it's like a chess match with making adjustments of who's going to inbound the ball, where they're going to inbound it, how are we going to defend it. And I thought that's when the Lynx's defense really rose to the occasion. When they got that five-second call down there on the end, that was a mm-hmm. huge turning point, I thought. It gave the got the crowd back in the ball game. Uh, I was really kind of surprised um, that L.A. didn't do a better job, but you got to give the Lynx credit for that. Uh, LaChina, we've talked about the great defenses for both teams, but I, I want to mention something that I thought was a key factor last night offensively. Waylon taking her shot. If you're not going to guard me, I'm going to shoot it. And the other thing I thought that was really important for for, uh, for the Lynx was Brunson. I'm playing tonight. I'm going to the rim with the basket. If you want to take a with the ball, if you want to take a charge, go ahead. I'm not going to settle for 15, 16 foot jumpers all night. I'm taking it to the rim. And I thought those two being so offensively aggressive were a real key for Minnesota. You know, you bring up a great point because you know there are there are several MVPs on the floor, and and none of which were the two names you just mentioned. And and in a series like this, it's often the X factors that end up being the, the determining factors. How hard is it as a coach? Rebecca Brunson had maybe the worst night I've ever seen her have in game one, right? Didn't play a lot. Well, and got, and got just benched. Seen, ended up get, ended yes, getting get, benched, really. Yep, yeah. she, didn't start, she didn't start the second half. And, and you have a decision to make as a coach. And this is something I love about Cheryl Reeve. She's, she's very loyal. And what I mean about that, I know coaches have to make adjustments. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to, like, the Spurs. I can't remember what year it was in the NBA Finals, but it had something to do with Danny Green, and there was a change to the lineup, and it seemed to just mess everything up. But anyway, you, you've made some big changes. I mean, I remember, you know, things just turning for your team after you put Larkins in um, to the starting lineup. So sometimes coaches have to make a, a tough decision to make changes. But Reeve decided to stick with Brunson. How challenging is it as a coach to make these decisions at a time like this? Well, she not only decided to stay with Brunson, who she needs on the defensive end, because Brunson has to guard uh, 
NECA, and she has to guard uh, Candace for her. But she also challenged her to put the ball on the floor, be harder to guard. They're obviously giving you the 15, 16, 17-footer. Okay, that, that, we're not going to live and die with you doing that, but they can't guard you driving. So I thought that was the adjustment. She stuck with her, uh, you know, with, with Brunson, but she asked her to do something that would help the team, and that was put the ball on the floor and attack the rim. So I thought that was really big. And at the end of the day, let's remember, NECA was only three for 13. Candace didn't have a great shooting night. And I think when NECA and Candace are having to guard Brunson driving and fouls on the move, it's tough. It's a lot. It is a lot. And and I remember several possessions where NECA was not even able to get a shot up underneath the rim because the Brunson defensively, which we know she's one of the best, and then fouls were, were right there in line. But you're, you're absolutely right about Rebecca Brunson because everyone was convinced after game one it was going to be the small lineup because the, that's what the numbers show, that they were most successful in the small lineup. And then Cheryl just totally goes with, with plan A, stays with Rebecca Brunson, and she did. She made plays. She didn't have to worry about being a shooter. She did a lot of the little things, you know, even setting screens. You mentioned Lindsay Whalen, which we're going to transition into now. Several of her baskets, especially early, were from Rebecca Brunson setting screens. But Lindsay Whalen, I mean, I, I just <laughs> – she is she is the heartbeat of the team, you know, um, the way the crowd gets behind her when she shows emotion, when she's confident, when she's scoring, you know, the, the team really comes alive. And I just think it's so critical the way she played last night because I don't think we've seen her play that way since she came back from her hand injury, you know, and that's hard to do. Missed the last 12 games. Right. We, we, haven't, we hadn't seen her nearly as offensively aggressive as she was last night. She may have scored the first, what, seven or eight points. So uh, she did. she's looking to score. And, and she's also saying to the defense, if you're going to stag off of me and clog up the paint, I'm going to knock down the 15, 16-footer. And I thought that set the tone early, like, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to really be part of this game. Yeah, she did. She really, I thought, um, gave them a punch early, and they needed that because it seems like the first quarter has been the deciding factor. Well, Coach, uh, we got to look ahead. So now it's time to predict um, you know, what do you see happening? Any adjustments that you think these coaches will be forced to make versus what you saw on one and two? What is the mindset shift now for Minnesota going on the road, LA going home? What do you see happening in game three? Well, first of all, it's LA's turn to make an adjustment. The, the losing team has to make an adjustment. Uh, the question I have for Brian Agger, what are you going to do to get Nick on, on track? Three for 13? Can't happen. Your, your, your best post off the bench, Lavender comes in, she's 0 for 3. So you've got to get those two on track. How are you going to do it? Candace Parker needs more touches. She needs more shots. What are you going to do to get her more shots? Um, the Lynx look like they've got a plan for Chelsea Gray. How are you going to adjust to get her more looks? Just those are the things that I think uh, L.A. is going to have to think about. Yeah, and that's a lot to think about because if your if your best players aren't getting shots and they're they're not in a groove when you need them to. I mean, and, and let's be honest, they were down 18 points. They were actually down 20 at one point, but 18 after the first quarter. So they fought back. They found something. Um, and and reading Brian Agler's quotes, he said that you know he felt it was their defensive sense of urgency, as you mentioned already. You know, he said we've got to have that same sense of urgency that we had in the second half because the Lynx only scored. 25 points in the second half. Come right. Total. Well, and I also thought, let's don't forget now, Maya Moore got in foul trouble. 
And I thought that helped uh, helped L.A. When Maya Moore's sitting on the bench, every team in the league gets help <laughs> because she's oh, such yes. a fantastic <laughs> player. So let those, those, what, four or five minutes that she was out, I thought was really an opening for um, – for uh, L.A. to kind of get back in the ball game, And you knew they weren't going to go away. They're too good. They're too gifted. They're too quick. They're too strong. They're too fast. They're too well coached. And I'm they expecting are. another great game on Friday. Yeah, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. And, you know, it's, it, you mentioned another thing, and that's fouls. I mean, Maya had four in this in this game, which, you, which was huge. But think back to game one. The entire L.A. starting five was in, was in foul trouble just about, but especially Candace with four in the first half. Uh, you know, uh, NECA was in foul trouble. Beard, Beard picked up two in the first minute, minute of this of game two. So how who's in foul trouble and, and how teams take advantage of that, um, I think, is also going to be a big part of it. All right, Coach Dunn, before we let you go, we got two things. In a minute, we're going to talk about Kentucky because we can't, we can't forget about your current job. But before you, before you get off, i got to ask you, what, what are you predicting is going to happen in this series? Who's going to win it all? How many games? i got to put you on the line. You put me on the line. I'm going, it's going all five. It's going down to the wire. It's going to be five games, and they're going to end up playing that fifth game back in Minnesota, and Minnesota's somehow going to figure out a way to pull it out. All right. It's on the record. You heard it, Tarika. Okay, we got to put Coach Dunn on the books. Now, Coach, again, um, going back to your current job, after we've used your entire WNBA repertoire, um, you are on staff at Kentucky right now uh, with Matthew Mitchell. How's the team doing? What's the outlook? And how are things going in Lexington? Well, LaShawn, it's been an interesting month for me. Uh, about a month ago, I had full total knee replacement surgery. So I've kind of been out of the loop except for watching film. From everything I hear, uh, the players are really working hard. We've got five new players, uh, four, four of the five are freshmen, high energy, lots of depth, lots of athleticism. So we're really excited about this young team. We've lost two great players in Epps and Akatur, as you know, who went to the WNBA. But we feel like we've replaced them with some new young talent. So we're we're excited about this year. Yeah, I mean, guys, I'll be honest with you. Looking at the roster coming in last season, you know, coming into last season, you guys had some departures and things that I was like, well, this roster, I don't know what they're going to be able to do. But when you've got that much coaching power, on one bench, I mean, you can find ways to make things work. And I, you guys were one of the surprises last year in some of the games you were able to win and what you were able to do uh, with with not as much talent as, as a lot of the teams that you were you were up against. Um, well, I thought mentioned- we did a really good job of maximizing the talent that we have. And I, I want to give credit not only to Matthew and his leadership, but anytime you've got two uh, former NCAA champions on your uh, staff in Kyra Elsie and Nia Butts, you know you got something good going on. I mean, two of my favorites. Does it get any better than them? And then is 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 um, is Amber there? Is Amber still and there? Amber's there too, but you know she doesn't have a championship, so that's why I didn't mention. That- <laughs> I'll tell you though, that girl could play with her. She and Victoria Dunlap were on the same team. That was one of my favorite teams to watch. So. Well, yeah, and you, you guys, Lachana, she's going to be a great coach. We, I'm so excited about uh, all the things that she's learning uh, from this staff and the experiences that she's getting. And uh, watch out, she's going to be one of our future young great coaches. Well, you guys have got quite a staff, and what we want to do right now, though, is wish you well. We want you to recover and rest and. 
um, get up and moving around again because we just love your passion for the game, Coach. It, it is not just the way you talk about the game. is that you add that Southern twang to it. And you're, you're so authentic and you're so real. And we just appreciate your time and your insight and all that you do for the game. Well, I appreciate y'all calling. You know, I love to talk about the game. We got three more games to go, so we're going to call you back. Okay? I was just going to say, I'm the wrong person to tell that to. I'm going to call you every game, Coach. Thank you so bye-bye. much, Coach. We, we appreciate your time. Okay. okay bye-bye. Second quarter, Inside the Huddle. Fans, it is the second quarter, and we are going deep inside the huddle right now um, in the WNBA Finals because we have with us on the line from the L.A. Sparks, the 2016 WNBA MVP, none other than Neka Ogumake. Welcome, Neka. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, your sister has gotten too big time for our show, so you're going to unfortunately have to fill in for her and for yourself on today's show. No problem. No, we're so proud of today and everything she's doing, but definitely excited for you and your team. So right now we are headed into game three of the WNBA finals. Um, you played your first two games at Minnesota. You guys took game one in a the thriller. They took game two in a thriller. I guess my first question is just, what has this wave of emotions been like um, through the first two games of the series? Um, especially after game one, it's definitely been tumultuous. But um, game two, uh, you know, it was a bit more of, um, I guess, a fight back. And we've been able to analyze both games and to understand what we really have to do, what we do best, and come out, you know, fearless. Yeah, and speaking of what you guys do best in coming out fearless, let's start with that game one where you guys just, I mean, really came out to a commanding lead. I think first quarter the score was 32-11, to really a punch in the face um, to start the finals. What was what was being captured there? What were you guys doing well in, in, that, in that moment that you hope to carry on through finals? I think it was a mindset, you know. Our minds were clear. And um, we had that fire inside of us ready to get the, you know, the championship round um, ahead of us. And so I think, uh, you know, it was really all about a mindset. Coach obviously prepared us well. Um, we came in, got acclimated in many a couple of days before the game. Um, and we were just really ready to play. And looking at the flow of that game, I'm actually looking at the stats right now. It was 32 to 11 um, in the first quarter. Then the Lynx were able to fight back a little bit, but you guys ended up winning the third quarter, and the Lynx won the fourth. But the all-important winning shot by Chelsea Gray is what put you guys over the top. And I just want to talk about Chelsea for a minute because obviously you've had a front row seat to her development. You know more than anyone how difficult it is to really um, get your footing in this league and how competitive it is. Um, uh, and how it's hard to become one of the elite players in this league. And in my opinion, she's at, she's an elite player in this league. What has that process for Chelsea looked like from your seat? You know, I'm, I'm sure it's not just your opinion that she's an elite player. You know, we got Chelsea last year, and um, she uh, it feels like she's been on our team for such a long time. Uh, she's grown as a person, as a player. You know, she came in, I think, trying to feel her way out and, um, you know, kind of a fortif- on a fortifying team. You know, you have a lot of... Uh, you have a lot of big names on our team. You have a lot of people that have been playing together. But she came in and she fit right in. She's always willing to learn, always has a positive attitude, and she knows how to make anybody better. Um, and it's amazing that she can do that while still performing at such a high level. 
And this this knack for hitting game winners and late game shots is just I, I call her, you know, at the beginning of the last game, I was like, what am I going to call Chelsea? So I came up with the closer because she just knows how to finish plays, how to finish games. How to finish the finals last year because she was also, even though you got the game winning shot, technically she was also big in the third and fourth quarter then. But have you ever seen a player that thrive in the final seconds the way she does? Yeah, um, I think that uh, it's very interesting to see someone so young to do so well. You know, I think it's quite amazing. And on our team, it can be anybody's moment. I mean, you saw AB had a moment last year, Chelsea had a moment this year. Um, and I think that's really the true essence of our team, that we all are waiting for our opportunity. We're ready for the opportunity. And uh, we want to be able to capitalize on those moments and do it for each other. So you guys were able to, to win game one in front of a crazy crowd. What does that crowd feel like at Williams Arena? Because to me, I'm like, it is so loud in here. I never usually put my earpiece in when I do a post-game interview. But in that place, I have to because I can't even hear the person standing next to me. What is that? What was that like um, in, in, in the barn in Minnesota? Oh, no, it was wonderful. I mean, we were so great to be in that atmosphere. Um Obviously, you know, there are very few people in there cheering for us, but I think for, for the game, for the WNBA, uh, we were honored um, to be able to be, to be able to have the opportunity to play in such a great atmosphere. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was crazy in there, and it was great for the game because you guys, both teams were performing at a very high level. So we switched gears to game two, and I know you mentioned you guys have been analyzing film, and I know you're not going to give us your game plan, but um, in terms of just what you guys can capture from what you did in the second half, because you did forge a major comeback in the second half of game two after the Lynx jumped out to a 28 uh, and 10 lead. What do you want to capture from that second half to hopefully bring to LA with you? Oh, uh, you know, I'm hoping that we, we, uh, were able to fight as hard as we did back in, um, the second game and bring that to start the game. You know, I think we want to bring elements of the first half of game one and elements of this, of the second half of game two to tomorrow. That's really what we want to do. Um, it's a bit too inconsistent at this point, but we want to be able to maintain, uh, that intensity for for a full 40 minutes. And, and you know, every team has their identity, right? Like things that yeah. are just a staple for your team that you're successful at, that allow you to play at your best. Are there things that you look for every game from your team to do on the offensive and defensive end that are that are that fit to your personnel that have allowed you guys to be a, a championship team? Yeah, you know, I mean, everybody has different responsibilities, but there's certain things that we all have to do. We all have to get a hold of the intangibles. You know, there's there's plays that you always have to make. There's 50-50 balls that you always have to get that everybody can be responsible for. Now, as far as, you know, defensive assignments, that's always going to be different, but we also all have to know the scout, and that plays into a big part of the team focus. Yeah, I have to ask you, speaking of the team focus, and, you know, I know the last minute of the game is so hard to scouting report, and a lot of that stuff goes out of the window. So the last minute of, of your game against Minnesota was obviously challenging. What did you guys, what kind of, in your opinion, went wrong there, and, and what can you learn from that moment, from that minute? I think that um, we could have done a little bit better um, with the urgency towards the end of that quarter. Um, and, I mean, you know, both teams saw a little bit of um, a little bit of a frazzled attitude or a frazzled mentality um, at the end of the quarter. But um, we just need to be more poised. That's really it. it. Can't it doesn't really come down to X's and O's. It comes down to the confidence and uh, composure.
Well, Neko, unfortunately, we have to let you go. You know, I could have asked you a million more questions, but I know you're so busy, and we appreciate you taking the time to join the show. I look forward to seeing you in L.A., and good luck. Thank you. Nice talking to you, China. <laughs> We just want to thank the L.A. Sparks for allowing NECA to join us. Unfortunately, she had to go. But I did want to note um, in this matchup, NECA has the primary responsibility of guarding Sylvia Fowles, who is this year's MVP. And NECA does give up some inches to Syl. And, and I think that's going to be one of the key matchups uh, moving forward. You know, when you look at NECA's performance in terms of numbers, um, she had not, excuse me, 11 points, four for nine in, in game one. And then in game two, she had 11 points, three for 13. And I really, I mean, she exerts herself on the defensive end. Again, she guards Sylvia primarily, but she's also guarded Simone. She's guarded Maya. The question is, will they need to call on her to get offense? Um, because we know that those numbers are, are not usually what we hear about from Neko Gumake. So will that become a factor? Um, and I should add that Neko also had 13 rebounds in game two. So she's putting in work. The question will just be how much will they need from her? And then I also wanted to note one thing. That in the two games in Minnesota, NECA and the L.A. Sparks, NECA is the president of the WNBA Players Association, but the Sparks decided to stay in the locker room for the national anthem as a sign of unity. And they were inspired by Coach Mike Tomlin and what he did with his team. Basically, you know, I mean, it sounds like teams have... You know, there are a number of people on, on, on every team. Football obviously has a ton of people. And, and basketball, most rosters have 12. Um, but... If you have people that have differences in beliefs or how they want to handle things, it's often a team's thought that, hey, whatever we're going to do, we're going to do it together. And so the L.A. Sparks did opt to stay in the locker room during the national anthem um, as a sign of unity. So wanted to mention that. And uh, with that, it is now halftime, fans. But we want you to stay where you are. Because coming up after the half, we have the WNBA Rookie of the Year. That's right. Alicia Gray of the Dallas Wings, formerly uh, the South Carolina Gamecocks, will join us just to tell us what she's been up to and why her rookie year was so sweet. So stay right where you are, and we will have the third quarter coming up next. Third quarter. Scouting report. Fans, it's the third quarter, and we are uh, currently in our scouting report mode, and we are honored to have um, a great scouting assignment. We have with us on our show today the 2017 Rookie of the Year in the WBA, none other than Alicia Gray. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so excited to have you. As you know, I've been a big fan of yours going all the way back to your North Carolina days. Uh, probably before that, I would say, because you're a Georgia girl. I live in Atlanta, so I'm sure we crossed paths at some time before then. But um, congratulations on winning Rookie of the Year in the league. How did you find out, and, and who told you, and what was your reaction? Uh, I was in New York for the inspire women luncheon event and I was in my hotel room watching uh T V and um Miss Lisa Borders calling uh telling me that I had won the rookie year and I I just started I was so happy like I just started yelling in the hotel room. Hopefully I wasn't <laughs> too loud but I was definitely <laughs> excited. I can't see you yelling. Well actually I can because sometimes in the game you get you get fired up now. 
And it was so yeah. fun watching you. <laughs> yeah, you do. It was so fun watching you. Not only in, in college, obviously, um, winning the national championship, but just how well you transitioned into the WNBA. Now, you were named uh, Rookie of the Year, and uh, we'll talk about the other rookies with you that were on the all-rookie team in a minute, but you were second amongst rookie scoring and rebounding this year, um, averaging 13 points and just under four boards a game, but you also made your presence felt on the defensive end as you led all rookies with over a steal per game, 1.6 to be exact. Um, you, to me edged out the competition. I think the biggest competition was Brittany Sykes, but you edged her out, in my opinion, um, because of what you were able bring, to bring to your overall team. I mean, your team made the playoffs, which a lot of people didn't expect having five uh, rookies. How were you able to come into the league and just have so much success in your first season? Uh, I just basically just took in and enjoyed the process. Um, the veterans made me me and my fellow rookies very comfortable in the WNBA league. Like they gave us the run around. Like they they helped us out tremendously. And if we had questions, it was no problem. They were answering for us. I know I had a lot of questions. Cause I was lost a lot sometimes. But just having the veteran support around, they were real helpful. And that they played a big reason with me being able to transition in the WNBA so smoothly. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I mean, the the vet on your team was Skylar Diggins, who's only been in the league. And I say vet, I mean, you got Glory, you got you got Courtney, but I feel like uh, Skylar had the bulk of the responsibility in terms of keeping everyone in line for the simple fact that she usually has the ball in her hand so much. But she just came into the league in 2013. So you guys, I mean, <laughs> you are such a young team and so fun to watch. What did you like about your playing style? Oh, it's perfect playing style, the up and down the court playing style. Like, you get it, push it. You can hear the coaches saying, push it in transition. It's just a fast play. It's just, that's the best part about it, the fast play. Yeah, you guys got up and down the floor a lot, a lot of freedom. That's one thing I love about Fred Williams and how he coaches is he, he, he just, he has the same style. Get the ball, be aggressive, um, and always gives his players a lot of confidence. Now, thinking back to your, your South Carolina days for a minute, because um, I want to talk Gamecocks. Somebody that we want the fans to get familiar with is Asia Wilson. And you left and Kayla left, you know, and so you guys have kind of left it on Asia's shoulders. But um, for the fans that don't know, what is, was it like playing with her? I know you guys are good friends, but what do you think she can bring to the WNBA? Uh, yes. Her style and skill set, I mean, she's a six five post player but has guard skills. So her mobility to be able to and also be able to move around and also having a, a big range jump shot too. And she can shoot the three, but I don't know why she don't shoot as much. But she got a nice three point shot also. But I'm thinking in the league she'll be able to shoot the three point will instill the confidence to shoot it more. But um just the mobility and her being a big post player that plays like a guard, in my opinion. Well, you know why she's not shooting at three, because Donna has not given her the green light, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, you know exactly why she had shot it. I'm going to have to call Dawn and find out what's going on. But, no, I agree with you. She's very skilled for her size, and um, I expect it to be the number one pick next year. We'll see. 
So you finished up your season. You actually got to go to the playoffs, which again was a thing that put you over the top, in my opinion. Just you know, you guys went, you played Washington. You didn't win, but great experience for a young team. So what's next for Alicia? What what are you gonna do in the off season? Well, right now I'm enrolled back at the University of South Carolina, finishing up school so I can get my degree. And while I'm here, I'm just working out and doing school. And you will finish up at South Carolina when? Uh, this spring 2018. Okay, so you'll be there all the way through um, next WNBA season. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know that uh, I was going to graduate this time regardless if I would have stayed, but my extra eligibility also. So, I mean, it kind of worked out both ways for me. Yeah, you got to still go back to school and hang out on campus, but got to spend your summer in the WNBA. Like, it doesn't get better than that, right? <laughs> that's a pretty nice That's a pretty nice setup. And you are a communications major, right? Is that the title of the degree? Uh, broadcast or, journalism. That's right, honey. Let me get it. Get it straight, Tarika. We got another, <laughs> we got another broadcaster on the Shout way. Shout out to you them communication degrees. Shout out to them communication degrees, girl. Go that's ahead. right. <laughs> that broadcasting. But I think that's commendable because I know that you could be making a lot of money overseas, but you chose to finish your degree, which is so, 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 so important. Um, you know, I always tell young women that, you know, your retirement process starts the first day you get into the league because I think the average career is maybe three and a half years. So, you know, we expect you mm-hmm. to be playing until you're gray, but oh, that was good until you're gray. <laughs> but, <laughs> but either way, you're you're definitely protected. So that's that's awesome. Will you be doing anything with the, with the South Carolina women? No, I, I just try to stay out of their way. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna let them do their own thing, right? And then you don't want yeah. Don yelling at, at you. The games, of course, I'm you'll be the at the games. Supporting. That's good. Yes, you have to be at the games. And speaking of supporting, you come from an athletic family. Um, your brother AJ plays at Georgia Tech That's football. Correct. How's his season going? How's he doing? Uh, he's doing. He's doing great so far. They're having a good season. He is time flies. Oh, my God. I'm like, is he already a junior? That is crazy. Okay, what's his position? Uh, free safety. Don't let, don't you let LaChina fool you. You know she don't know nothing about no football. I sure know don't, <laughs> but I was, I was going to fake it. I was going to fake it until I made it, though, Tarika. Didn't you like that? I said, oh, a safety? You see how I don't even know. Don't I don't even know. clue what a safety no is. No clue. No clue. That's okay, Tarika. I know what a, a shooting guard is and a point guard and a forward. Don't be making fun of me. Uh, <laughs> but, no, that's awesome for your family. Um, so I mentioned that you were on the all-rookie team and you had some other players join you. Kelsey Plum also um, was named on the all-rookie team. Brittany Sykes. Um, you also had Kayla Davis, your fellow Gamecock, and also now the yep. uh, Dallas Wing. <laughs> and then from the Washington Mystics in Maryland, Shatoy Walker-Kimbrough. So you guys, uh, y'all got a nice force coming back next year. I am uh, definitely going to be looking forward to that. Have you been watching the WNBA Finals? And if so, what do you think about the game so far? Oh yeah, I'm definitely watching WNBA finals. I mean, they've been they've been exciting. Like both games have came down to the wire. And it's just fun to watch and just to see the WNBA. Oh sorry, WNBA improving in the platform in general. It's, it's been a very successful season. I'm definitely excited to see how the WNBA finals turn out. 
I know. Well, you got to tell us how it turns out. Who you think's gonna win it? You not? Gonna, you don't think I'm gonna let you go that easily? Now, who? What? Who do you uh, think's gonna win? I don't, I don't know. I'm just gonna watch. I'm just gonna be a neutral fan. <laughs> Did you see the anxiety set in Tarika? She was like, oh, no, 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 no. She said, you will not get me with the okie doke. I'm not doing it. And you will not get me with the prediction. Okay, well, at least tell me one player from each team that you like watching and why. One player from each team. Uh, I mean, at least I just like watching their team play because they just so, like, they have great team tension and just so well bonded. But if I had to choose, but if I had to choose a player, I'm, I'm going with Maya Moore. Oh, and your fellow mama, Georgia. No, uh, you already know, and Georgia Metro, same AAU squad too. Uh oh, so. shout out to the Metros. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the start, I like watching the way Candace Parker like can be a guard and the way she passes the ball, and then Chelsea Gray, she wows me with with her passes like. I'd just be like, how did you see that? Like, I really like the way Chelsea Gray passed off those so I have to go with them two on the spark. Yeah, they they make some nice, nice passes. They really spread the floor well and see the floor and see each other. I mean, it is, and Chelsea is like, she's a bully. That's what her teammates call her. So she just passes and does whatever <laughs> she wants to out there, you know? Kind of uses that size. You got size too, you know, that you can just kind of get to any spot on the floor that you want to. Because I think she's five eleven. You're six foot, right? Yeah, I gotta buy an inch. <laughs> yeah, you gotta buy an inch. You gotta buy an inch. Okay, so you'll be watching those players. Tariq and I have already weighed in on our predictions. Coach Dunn already put hers in. Fans, um, if you want to weigh in on who you think is gonna win the WNBA Finals. Hit us on hashtag around the rim on Twitter, um, and we will get your votes. Alicia Gray, thank you so much. Team Lefty for life. I love your game, the way you play. Continue to grow, and uh, good luck in getting that degree. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. All right, fans, we are going to take you out of bounds. And this week for Out of Bounds, we just want to make sure that you know where exactly you can catch the rest of the WNBA action. Friday, 9 o'clock p.m. in L.A. for Game 3 on ESPN2. Sunday, staying in L.A. for Game 4. You can catch that on ESPN, not ESPN2, ESPN. 8.30, and I'm super excited about this particular game because I'm never in L.A. I will be, so hopefully I will be sitting front and center watching the Sparks and the Lynx go at it. Super excited about that. And if necessary, Game 5 will be on Wednesday back in Minnesota, 8 o'clock, also on ESPN. And if you love this series as much as I've loved this series and enjoyed the series so far, I know you guys are hoping that this goes all five games. I certainly am. So. We are going to hold a Twitter poll. That's right, guys. We want to know exactly who you think and who you're predicting to win the WNBA Finals, as LaChina stated earlier in the show. So follow us on Twitter at LaChina Robinson. Follow me at Sports underscore. Participate in the poll. We want to see who you think is going to take home the championship. Hashtag around the rim. It's been a great show. We are super, super excited for what this finals is going to continue to bring. We definitely want to once again, thank Coach Lynn Dunn, Alicia Gray, and Neka Agumake for joining the show. As always, people, it's a pleasure. Continue to show us love. Continue to support and download. And we'll catch you guys on the flip side. Wow.
you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.